The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, back to our scheduled programming then. We're going to take a look at the work that was done over the weekend. And this is really trying to raise awareness around new legislation uh, surrounding sexual offences and services that are available to those affected by gender-based violence. Kieran Rese is a policy advocacy research officer at uh, Mosaic Training and Healing Services. Kieran, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Hi, good morning, Kathy. It's great to be with you. Firstly, Karen, if we can just start with the work that was done in Krugersdorp, you know, this this past weekend, we know that that community is still very much affected by that gang rape that took place in the area last year. Um, what did you find when you were there? Uh, yeah, thanks, Kathy. Um, so just just a little bit of a correction. I know that the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development hosted a community engagement session on Friday in Krugersdorp with that mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. to raise awareness about services um, that are available to survivors of gender-based violence. Unfortunately, Mosaic wasn't part of that community education process. Um, but our understanding is is that it was very well attended and that information was also shared about the new legislation um, amendments for gender-based violence. So in as far then as the new legislation is concerned, what is it that we as members of the public need to know? Hmm. Um, thanks so much for that question. And so I think there was a lot of media that was brought um, around the the new amendments to the legislation. Uh, There were three bills that were changed around sexual offences and domestic violence, more specifically, um, over the last three years. And currently, we're now seeing the implementation of this legislation. So the members of the public of the the public, uh, some of the most important aspects to know is what new provisions have come into play to ensure the protection of persons who are experiencing domestic violence as well as as sexual offences. For Mosaic, some of the key changes in legislation have come in the form of the Domestic Violence Act, where we are seeing some strong new provisions that have been put in place with the intention of ensuring the maximum protection of people who are experiencing domestic violence. Um, And one of these are come in the form of the safety monitoring notice. Now, this is a court order that members of the public are able to apply for at the time of applying for a domestic violence protection order in a magistrate's court. And this safety monitoring notice allows for the police to actually check in quite regularly on the person who is experiencing violence so that there is a constant um, form of communication between the two to try and ensure that that survivor is kept safe or is is safe from the abuse of their alleged perpetrator in between applying for a protection order and getting their final order. This communication with uh, victims is is an important one because one of, you know, the criticisms that has been leveled against the police over the years is that once a case has been opened and a matter reported, there's lack of communication. In fact, many people are unclear about what happens with their cases. 
Mm, that's that's a great point, Kathy, and and I think it really speaks to how when we look at the way law is developed um, in the country, we have law that's developed at a very national level. So there's a clear pathway of how that law is to be implemented. But ultimately, our law is implemented at a very local uh, police station or magisterial district level. And where we're seeing some of the breakdown in this law being implemented is at that community level. So as Mosaic, some of the work we've been doing uh, is really focused on how do we strengthen a system at a community-based local level? And so when we talk about information around cases, information around process coming from either the court or police, that happens at a station or a court level. So for us, what we what we are trying to do is to make sure that those parties responsible for issuing that information are held accountable by civil society organizations like Mosaic and the partners we work with, but also for, for us to educate community members about what their rights are. And I think one of the challenges we face with accessing further information is for survivors of violence not always understanding, or survivors of violence or their families really, to not always understanding their rights in terms of what information they can access and what they can demand from both the courts and the police. It also so, seems... Sorry to come in there, uh, Kieran. No it also seems to me that there, there's well, uh, there could well be a disconnect between what is there in legislation and how that is implemented by mm. the necessary of officials when it comes to the day-to-day -day running of certain services. Mm. Most definitely. And that's one of the programs that Mosaic has at the moment is called the SAFE Project. And there we're saying we need to ensure that homes, relationships, and communities are safe. And the only way for us to do that is to work in a very collective and coordinated way. And that means we can't just turn around to, to police and say, you're not doing your job properly. But we need to say, well, how do we firstly partner with the justice system to make sure that uh, policies and legislation are implemented correctly. But at the same time, how do we hold people to account to do that? And so you are quite right in the way that you say it's been a, a I suppose, a bit of South African proverb for a while that we have amazing progressive legislation, especially in the gender-based violence field. But the disconnect really comes into how that's implemented. So we need to start focusing on very local level system strengthening if we want our legislation to be implemented correctly. Because currently we can have as many amendments as we would like to national legislation. But if that doesn't trickle down effectively to a local level, if it's not monitored effectively right. at a local level. Uh, Kieran, we'll... I'm going to give you a chance to continue in a moment. Uh, Kieran Rees is Policy Advocacy and Research Officer at Mosaic Training and Healing Services. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. 
8.22 after 11 o'clock. We're reflecting then just on some of um, the changes that have been made to legislation around sexual offences and the services that, that are available to people affected by gender-based violence. What has been the impact of these changes? Karen Reese is with Mosaic Training and Healing Services and she uh, joins us for this conversation. Uh, Kieran, we've talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of the officials um, uh, perhaps are not quite prepared and not prepared in terms of will, but prepared in terms of skill um, to implement amendments to this legislation. What about those people that find themselves having to use this legislation? I'm talking now about um, the survivors of of gender-based violence. Where do they fit into this matrix? Mm. So the law that we we create in the country is victim-centered or survivor-centered. We have the victim's charter. We have the constitution that obviously the law needs to uh, align itself with and be measured against. But again, it comes down to the implementation. So one of the things that Mosaic tries to do, um, as well as other partners, and we know that our our government departments try and do the same thing, is to really prepare survivors, but communities in general, and and, uh, residents of South Africa in general, is what mechanisms are available, not only to access service, but also what complaints mechanisms are in place should service not meet the the requirements by law. Um, So that's one component. But at the same time, we need to be strengthening the system. So when um, survivors at the time of an incident access those services, they're not further victimized by those services. So one part of that is rights education. But the other part is for, uh, for civil society organizations, we are constantly seeking ways that we can partner with departments such as the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, as well as the South African Police Service to say, well, let's walk alongside you. Let's assist in training your um, building capacity of your officials so that not only are they, not only do they have confident knowledge in the law, but also that they are confident in being able to provide survivor-centered first responder services. Because at the end of the day, we're not dealing with robots when survivors enter a, a criminal justice system. We're dealing with individuals who have experienced possibly some of the worst trauma that they are going to experience in their lives accessing these services. So for us, it's a dual approach. It's one, understanding the law, but on the other side, how do we humanize the services that are receiving these survivors? It's such an important point that you bring up, Kieran, because ultimately we're talking about people that have undergone very traumatic events and how they are treated matters because it is often that process that will determine whether you know a, a victim is 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 willing to go further with a matter mm-hmm. or if they're not willing to go further with a matter in fact it also influences whether others in future uh, come forward and talk about their experiences and get recourse mm. That's such an important point that you raised there, Kathy. Um, we've seen that within 
the services that we provide within Tutuzela Care Centers, for instance, and for your listeners that don't know, a Tutuzela Care Center is a 24-hour service that often operates from a hospital, a provincial hospital, that provides a holistic set of services to, to victims of, of gender-based violence. Um, and when someone accesses that service, they receive crisis counseling, they have a first responder that's able to really walk them through the system and explain, this is the forensic um, examination that you're going to undergo. This is what you can expect. This is the police officer that is going to take your, your statement. This is a representative from the National Prosecuting Authority that should you wish to open a criminal case, will guide you through that process and actually um, open your case together with police for you. And the outcome we see there, if done correctly, is very different to someone who just walks into their local police station. So we can definitely see proof in that if we provide a very human, um, victim-centered or survivor-centered approach, but also that there is coordination between service providers, that we're not expecting a survivor to go from police to the court, to the hospital, to a, an external service provider, and just be passed on from one pillar to another, um, we, we see results. And, and that's what we as Mosaic are aiming for, not only through the, the Tutuzela care centers, but by building these safe platforms through our safe project at a community level, we have a very structured uh, referral pathway that we're able to have survivors receive quality services from the right people at the right time. And I think once we're able to build those platforms that are easily accessible at a local level, we will definitely start seeing more people coming forward to access assistance, but also that we'll be able to see communities where we have stakeholders that are actually working together, that we don't see a duplication of, of services, we don't see duplicate resources being expended, but we actually see a cohesive set of services being provided to survivors of, of gender-based violence. And in the same way, we then start preventing violence within those, those communities as well. I, I want us to, to move our conversation uh, perhaps and be more specific about what it is that um, some of the people that have come uh, to your facility and to your organization in particular, what their shared experiences are, uh, because there has been some time, it has been, it has been some time since um, the new amendments to the legislation has been made. And, and I'd really love for you to share a part of what that experience has been. It is, however, 11.30, so uh, we'll go to the latest 11.30 news headlines and then we'll continue the conversation. The Talking Point with Kathimo Sasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. 
We continue leading the conversation on the talking point. Karen Reese is um, with Mosaic Training and Healing Services, and we're talking about um, the services that particularly uh, come as a result of legislation around sexual offences and what we have seen since the amendments to uh, some existing legislation where sexual uh, we're dealing with sexual offences are concerned. So, so Karen, I, I wanted you to tell us what it is that um, you know, some of the f- survivors that come to your uh, facilities are saying about these services currently, and I'm talking now post the amendments. Mm. Um, so one of the one of the challenges that we have with the the amendments is that we don't. The amendments only came into play in in April this year, and we <clears throat> we don't have. Um, how do I put this? We don't have all of the directives from all of the departments as yet in place. So these are mainly for the Domestic Violence Act, but I know that you're speaking quite uh, specifically to sexual offences. So in terms of sexual offences, there was not as many changes as what we saw in domestic violence. So the services have continued in the way that they um they have always continued i think where we if i have to share some of the the broad based um concerns that come back from the survivors especially in terms of of sexual offenses is we see an inconsistency in the way that sexual offenses are dealt with so if somebody goes to, as I said, a Tuchizela care center that operates well, they receive a very well-rounded holistic service. But then we know that Tuchizela care centers operate differently in different areas of the country. So there's a big frustration around um, inconsistencies in, in service delivery. Then we also see quite long delays in court processes if a case does in fact make it to court and the prosecution does agree to prosecute a case. We do see quite lengthy delays. And often what happens in those situations is that survivors do tend to err on the side of wanting to withdraw a case because it's something that they are needing to be in court multiple times uh, in order to, to see their case come to fruition. Um, and then one, as, as an organization of as Mosaic, we have to then ask ourselves, well, what role do we play in ensuring that services are, one, more consistent, but B, in the interim, how do we make sure that survivors get the access to the services that they require? So all our programming is informed by survivor experiences. And so what we do is we provide services at the time of an incident, both for domestic violence and sexual offenses. We provide access to justice services. So almost a facilitated process through gaining protection, whether that be through lodging a criminal case and getting medical care or actually applying for a domestic violence protection order. But then we know that we need to ensure that there's a more consistent service across the board. And that we that is where we focus a lot of our advocacy and policy work mm. is around 
um, informing processes through platforms like the National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide, where we're active in various pillars to inform those processes from a national level down. But we also sit on provincial forums to bring up specific cases so that we can start addressing them at a systemic level rather than just addressing each case individually. Mm -hmm. Because we need to see a system where a survivor can go to any police station anywhere in the country, whether it's rural, urban, peri-urban, suburban. We need to know that anybody that walks in gets the exact same service at the exact same time. And that's what we're striving towards. We know that that's going to take a long time, but it doesn't mean it's something that we shouldn't be working towards. Um, And I'm sure that any of your listeners that are listening to this that have experienced a certain level of gender-based violence or know someone who has, I'm sure that they would be able to give many stories of where the system has worked, but also where the system has fallen um, short uh, compared to what the law says. Karen, um, and I think, yes. I just wanted to come in there and say, how do we also move the conversation from one that is sort of reactionary? Because a lot of the services yes. we're talking about now Uh, to deal with what must happen when the crime has already Mm. taken place. Uh, Do do you think that we have enough of an emphasis on on preventative measures? How do we stop and prevent, um, you know, gender-based violence from being as high as it is in this country right now? Mm. Uh, That's a great great question, Cathy. And and I think for for mosaic we would like to think that we need to see a response and a prevention focus working alongside each other uh there's there's been quite a push globally for us to focus almost 90% of our response should be preventative from a global level but we're saying that with gender-based violence levels as high as we have in South Africa, we need an effective response mechanism. But yes, we do need to focus more on prevention. And if we look at our national strategic plan on gender-based violence and femicide, we actually have a pillar dedicated specifically to preventing gender-based violence and femicide. Um, And I think we are seeing more and more programs and projects that are coming out on rather a a small scale that are focusing on not only preventing an act of violence, but actually looking more broadly at how do we practice gender transformation. So how do we start really addressing these very patriarchal, harmful gender norms that exist in our society so that we can start having these open conversations and start thinking about these norms that really drive gender-based violence. Because we're not speaking about isolated incidents. We're speaking about a collective thinking of how we see gender and how we we see um, the way that we interact. So we are going to have to, to, to really focus in on these programs that work and bring them to scale. And that's where government plays a massive role in looking at what civil society is doing um, and looking at ways to support that and amplify it to scale. Because I think we need to move away from 
having these small projects and then with no funding, they fall away, but they've actually shown to work. Um, instead of bringing in new projects all the time, we really need to focus on what works, learn from our global partners, especially those in the global south, and then adapt those programs for a, a South African um yeah, for the South African context. All right. And drive those and invest in those alongside response. All right. Kieran Reese, we'll leave it there for this morning. Uh, thanks for your time. She is with Mosaic Training and Healing Services. Uh, we were also scheduled to have a representative of the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development as part of uh, that conversation. They unfortunately pulled out at the last minute. So I was certainly hoping to share a lot more with you, at least from a policy and reform point of view uh, by the department to also address just some of the concerns that Kieran was talking about, where you do have um, this mismatch that is identified between what the legislation says and what then is actually available uh, when it comes to those that have to effect the service provision uh, at, 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 at the point of um, the, the delivery. So whether it's within the prosecu- prosecutorial system, whether it's with services uh, that many of these survivors need when they are at um, the hospitals, you heard the Tutuzela uh, centers, etc., so hopefully um, this is something that will be able to engage the Justice and Constitutional Development Department on again in future. All right, lots of your WhatsApp voice notes from the conversation we had in the second hour of the show. And I did promise we will be having a lot more of those conversations. I see that that's part of what the voice notes are also asking for. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly exceed um, to that request. Let's take those uh, voice notes before before we wrap up the show for today. Hi, Kathy. Lovely show on elections and democracy. I'd like to suggest maybe to the management of uh, the station that this kind of discussions need to happen as often as possible. Maybe also involve them on the drive time shows of uh, Aldrin, which is um, which has got a lot of listeners and maybe young people so that they get involved and they see how the democratic process works and how they should make it work. Well, uh, uh, good morning. Voters education, I would say it's it's something that has been well overdue in this country. And um, I hear people asking the question, who should be um, carrying out this, this education uh, to the citizens of this country? Personally, I would say I'm very disappointed that uh, the so-called opposition parties that are supposed to be saving this country from these thieves that are currently ruling us are not taking full advantage of this. I've been suggesting to all different parties that have been following manifestos of to at least go into the townships, go everywhere in the country and teach people host workshops and explain what voting is and what democracy is. I would say it is their responsibility. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, You know, as a young man, I am not encouraged to go and register to vote whatsoever. Uh, Because right now, as I'm speaking to you, as a young man, I'm sitting at home, unemployed, uh, no opportunities, no nothing.
dependent on a merely 350 monthly. So no, I'm not voting. And then your guest said something that um, if I don't go out there and vote, it means that I'm giving uh, up my power. I am not. You know, I choose to hold on to my power to myself than to give it to some politicians out there who are going to misuse it uh, to enrich themselves. So for me, voting, I don't think uh, I don't I don't I don't think it's a solution for me. Thank you. Morning, Sister Kathy. I think Sister Karen still has not answered your question. One question we always ask: What are we going to do, or what have you done to prevent? We are always reactive. The government is reactive. The policemen are reactive. We are a reactive society. She has not given a single answer as to preventative measures. All the time, we are given all the states of what happened, what happened, what happened. You asked one question, which 99% of South Africans do not answer that question. What do you do to prevent preventative measures? Let's prevent they do not want, they want to react to create jobs by reacting. All right, uh, those are just some of the voice notes that you've sent through uh, to the show this morning. And this is also where we wrap it up on the talking point. We're back with you again tomorrow morning. Up next is the book reading, and of course, it'll be followed by the update at noon. The Steel Roses of China 